As we wrap up another year, what a better way to start the end than by extolling the goodness of Jesus and all that he has done, amen? And uh, I think as another year has gone and as we look back on 2023, I'm wondering how you're looking back at it. Are you looking back at it with thankfulness? Are you looking back at it with excitement and enthusiasm? Or are you looking back at it with a breath of, thank goodness, this one's over? It's easy to reflect and see some of the great things that God has done, even just within our church family. I mean, our church has changed this year. Leadership has changed in a great way. Things have have had such a, a different impact and a different feel to it as we come into a new year. We've seen many couples get married. I know that because we have a, a board that lists all of the weddings that are upcoming and next year has so many already planned. And then we're seeing couples this year in 2023 who have had lots of babies too. I know that because our nursery is absolutely booming. We had 42 toddlers in a room one day this summer. Can you please pray for those leaders? We shared in the loss of loved ones this year. We shared in the loss of jobs this year. We shared as people have, that we love have moved away. But we've also seen more families join us here at Calvary in the last 12 months than we have really ever seen before. So many new faces have come and joined us. And it's not just growth in numbers, it's growth in spirit as well. We've had more than 50 baptisms this year. Praise the Lord. More than 50 baptisms. Yeah, praise the Lord. He gets all the glory for it. We've seen amazing generosity from people with their time and their talents and their treasures over the time. And we've seen people have a thirst to want to serve. We're seeing people come and leave their welcome cards in record numbers saying, I want to get involved and I want to serve. And they want to serve this, the local representation of the universal church of Jesus. This is just what's happening here. But what God's doing in his church is really amazing and we are so thankful for that we have Jesus. And as this new year rolls around, well, some of us, it's easy for us to look back and now look forward with anticipation. If you are excited for 2024, that's great. But for other people, they might be looking at this like they're just passing go again in the Monopoly game. And they're like, I just hope I can get around the board again this year. And of course, this is the time of year that people make New Year's resolutions. Now, New Year's resolutions are often made with really, really great intentions, but they don't always have long-lasting results, do they? In fact, I don't know if you know this, but this coming week is the busiest week for new memberships at the gym. And eight weeks from now is the busiest week where gyms are being tried to, our people are trying to talk their way out of contracts that they made eight, eight weeks earlier. They'll have great intentions, but they don't always stand. And yeah, while we might make resolutions, I think it's important that as the church heads into 2024, and I'm gonna I wanna talk about this with you this morning, there is a difference between going in with New Year's resolutions and going in with New Year's resolve. Now, you might be saying that's the same thing, isn't it? It isn't. 
It's not. And we're going to see why that is. And we're going to do that by exploring the book of Daniel in the first chapter. So if you want to turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1, we're going to dig in a little bit and see if we can pick up some examples. And I just want to let you know, as I studied through this first chapter this week, I have been just reminded of what an amazing book the book of Daniel is. I highly encourage you to spend some time there and read it. It's so, it's so good. But before we read, I want to give you a little bit of background, okay? The background is that at this time, Israel has split into two nations, Israel and Judah. Israel to the north has now been basically destroyed by the Assyrians, and Judah, the tribes of Judah to the south, have now been taken into captivity into Babylon. This was foretold. The prophets have said that this was going to happen. So they're going to be brought into Babylon, which is right now, Babylon was located in what is now Iraq, and it was led by a king, Nebuchadnezzar. And they had been enslaved. And now the Israelites and Judah were going to now have to learn how to live in a new culture with new rules, new laws, and under a rule that probably wasn't going to be very forgiving to their loyalty to Yahweh. That's the backdrop of what we're going to have here in Daniel 1. And this is just the start. They've just come into captivity. And so let's turn our attention to Daniel chapter 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men, without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my, my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please, test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then... Compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. 
So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Let's pray. Father, give you thanks today that we can come and we can open your word, that you've given us a life of Daniel in this time that we can pull some information from and understand what it means to have resolve. God, I pray for each one of us today that as your word, as it's open, we know that you are talking. When the Bible is open, God, you are the one who's speaking. So Lord, let our hearts and our ears be wide open to what it is that you are saying to us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So we're talking about the difference between resolutions and resolve. And yes, there is a difference. Resolutions tend to be temporary. Resolve tends to be long-standing. Tem- uh, resolutions often come from ourselves. Resolve is, comes from the Lord. So I want to have a look at what we can learn from Daniel about what that resolve actually looks like. And there's a few questions that if you're feeling as you're coming into 2024 and you're asking, is this something that I should be doing? We're going to run it through a checklist today. And the first question that I want to ask is, what is motivating you? Or even better, who is motivating you? Is it you or is it the Lord? Has the Lord put you in a situation that is causing you to move? That's exactly what's happened here in verses 1 and 2. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. There's what happened. Jerusalem has been besieged. By Nebuchadnezzar? No. Read verse 2. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim. The Lord did it. That's going to be really important to understand that the Lord, when he puts you into a circumstance you're going to have the ability to overcome and to do something about it. It's clear here that this is not Nebuchadnezzar's doing. This is of the Lord. And why would he do this? Why would the Lord exile his people? Just read the book of Kings. Second Kings talks about Jehoiakim. If you read the accounts of the kings, they're going to say, this is the name of the king. Here's how long they reigned. And they either did good or evil in the eyes of the Lord. Jehoiakim did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so, with, because of that evil, as Israel continued to disobey the commands, God is now going to put them in a situation where they can't just keep doing what they were doing. They're going to have to make a decision and they're going to have to move on. This is an, an interesting note. If you look in verse 2, it says, And the Lord, capital L, small o, small r, small d. Okay? Sometimes when you read the Old Testament, you're going to see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Same God, different name for him, all right? When you see all capitals, that means Yahweh. When you see 
capital L and small, that means Adonai. The first one, Yahweh, is talking about a personal relationship. The second is talking about God as a, his ownership or his control over the situation. It's talking about his sovereignty. And it emphasizes that. Not only was Jerusalem destroyed now, but as we're reading, some of the artifacts that were in the temple to worship him were actually taken and have now been put into the temple of false gods. Why is that happening? Why would God allow that to happen? Well, now that they're in captivity, it looks as though it wasn't Yahweh that delivered them into exile, unless you understood that or had faith, but it looked as though the other, the other gods were going to get the credit for this. And even though it appeared, though, the idol gods had victory over Yahweh, this was as far from the truth as possible. And Daniel was going to be able to recognize that. You have to remember, too, that this is something that had been promised. It had been prophesied. God had said, if you keep doing this, I'm going to send you into exile. Jerusalem will be destroyed. God kept his promises. He always keeps his promises, and this is what happened. And you know, it's easy for us sometimes to be hard on the Israelites, isn't it? We can look at them and go, oh, those Israelites, there they go, disobeying God again. But the truth is, I think we, we all do that, but this is, was this just punishment for disobedience? Partially. I think partly this was punishment for disobedience. But much as parents discipline their kids, they don't do it just because they're trying to make them obedient. They're doing it because they're trying to bring about change. It's not just about punishment. It's about causing something with your kids to change the direction that they're going. And this is exactly what God is doing with the Israelites. And he was going to put them into exile for 70 years. That means that this is generational change. So you know when you read that verse in Jeremiah 29, 11, and it says, for I know the plans I have for you, not to harm you, but to prosper. That is not, that wasn't an immediate promise. That was going to be experienced 70 years later after the captivity, at least from the situational or the circumstantial perspective. But they're trying to bring, God's going to bring the nation back into obedience. And while the circumstance might have seemed catastrophic, there was absolutely a purpose for it. Sometimes the situations that we're in as well are going to make us feel like we're out of control. Human resolutions often come from what we want. Divine resolve comes from the situation that God wants for us. So you have to ask this question. Is what you're feeling in your heart the way you're going to approach 2024? Is it something that you want or is it something that you need or that God wants for you? Sometimes those are the same things, but not always. You've got to ask if it is from the Lord. Is it opulence or is it obedience? And that just means, is it something that we've led ourselves to or is it something that God has placed us in? We want to ask that question. If it's something that we want, we're going to find ourselves in situations that are temporary. But when we have resolve, we're going to understand that we're in a situation where you might have to make a very difficult decision. The decision that you might have to make might not be comfortable. When we're obedient to him, we're given extraordinary help to accomplish whatever's in front of us. We just need to follow and ask what he's doing. And resolve is rooted in obedience. And Daniel and his friends were about to live that out. And they were going to find that based off of the situation that they were placed in. 
that they were going to be able to accomplish what they need. Now, the second thing is, is it rooted in realistic expectations? Check out in verse 4, it says that they were looking for young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. Qualified. By the way, that sounds exactly like a resume I got from somebody once who was applying for a job at a place that I worked. They were very, that's what they said about themselves almost. But this is from the Lord. This is how the Lord is describing it. He's saying they're qualified. They were qualified to do this. Now, the training they were going to receive was extensive, okay? This was a three-year plan. And the task, they were fit for it, they were ready for it, and they were going to serve the king. They were going to be taught the language, and they were going to be trained physically and mentally for that time. Why in the world would would a nation who has just conquered another one bring them into their land and then pick the best of the best and say, you guys come in, we're going to train you? Well, really, they were diplomatic hostages at that point. The king was coming in and saying, we're going to basically indoctrinate you into everything that we have so that after the three years, you're going to go back to your people and you're going to be in complete support with us. That's why he would do that. And we're going to see some of the ways that they actually tried to do that. But they were qualified to do what God had laid before them. So the second filter that we want to run, is it resolved through, is is it based in fantasy or feasibility? Is it something that you can actually do or is it something that is just sort of a bit of a dream? Dan and his friends are going to be shown that they can do it and we all have certain strengths, but that doesn't always mean that we're ready to do the job and we're able to do it. Here's a great example of that for me. I love to walk. Over the last couple of years, I've learned that I just, I love walking. It clears my mind. And I walk like, you know, five to 15 kilometers at a time. And as I'm walking, it feels just good. It's a, it's a good release for me and it, it, it's helped me in a great number of ways. But I uh, had a bit of a situation uh, in March of this year where um, I started to feel some pretty heavy pain in my hip. So I went to my doctor, doctor sent me for all the tests, turns out I have arthritis and bone spurs in both hips, but in this one, I actually have a torn labrum and a torn muscle, which was making it almost impossible for me to sit and stand without screaming. I was in a lot of pain. So I went to the the surgeon and the surgeon said, so here's the deal, you are too old for us to fix the problem. Okay, great. And then I say, he said, but you're too young to get a replacement. So you're just going to kind of have to grin and bear it. We'll give you physio. We'll show you how to do it all. I said, great, no problem. One of those things was walking, but the surgeon was very clear. He said, don't do anything high impact. It was really good that he didn't tell me exactly what that meant. So I wind up, I've got this treadmill in my basement. I'm working it. And then one day I smell smoke. It's not because I outran the treadmill, it's because it was cheap, and I had to get a new one. And I bought this one that had, um, it's got um, uh, like a cushion on it. it, it flexes, so it shock absorbs. And then I bought these shoes that was recommended to me by a friend. They're the biggest, thickest, ugliest shoes that my wife said, if I ever wear out in public, there's a chance she'll leave me. <laughs> not like in marriage, like just in the moment. And, but it's, it was these big, thicker soles. 
And so I'm out there and I'm walking and I'm like, I feel great. And so I have this thing where every time I go on this thing, I need to go faster or further. It's just, it's a thing in my head. And so I said, I'm going to try running. I know, you hear it already, right? So I hit the first kilometer and I'm like, I feel great. So I kept going. Two kilometers, three kilometers, four kilometers, five kilometers. I got off, I was like, I just ran a 5K. I've never done that before in my life. And then I woke up the next morning. You laugh now, but it's not the end of the story. Because the next morning, I felt better than I did the day before. So what did I do? I ran another 5K. And then I did that every day for three and a half weeks. And then one day in November, I felt a little something right here on my knee. And I went, no problem, I'll just run through it. And I haven't actually been on a treadmill since then. I'm not equipped or built anymore to run a 5K every day. I had my wife telling me, I had friends telling me, just take it easy, don't hurt yourself, the last thing you want to do is get an injury. I totally got an injury. I wasn't equipped. I wasn't built for that. At least not all at once. So while this story might help to illustrate that while some things might not be realistic, it also is important to remember that just because you might not be qualified for a certain task doesn't excuse you either. Just because I might not be able to run a 5K every day doesn't mean that I just get to stop doing everything altogether. You have to remember that specific assignments are based around general principles, okay? So just as, just as Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel were given a particular task, that doesn't mean that the Israelites, everybody else that were living in Babylon were able to not stand firm in the Lord. That's like saying, if I'm a pastor, I study the Bible, but as a congregation, as Christ followers, you don't need to. That's not what that means. We have to remember that it's rooted within general principles, and we just have to understand what degree we have to do that. And the third thing that I want us to think about is to remember that resolve is fostered by conviction. Not only did the Babylonians try to incorporate Daniel and company into its culture, but it tried to invoke a unique ancient version of what I'm thinking is cancel culture. Because they're not just saying, we're going to teach you all of our ways. They're actually saying, we're going to erase who you are. That's why in verses 6 and 7, they all get name changes. And this is significant because the names that they originally have are actually rooted and tied to their loyalty to Yahweh, to God, to their God. And they change the names in verse 7. Daniel actually meant God is my judge. That's what it means, and it's talking about Yahweh. Hananiah says Yahweh has been gracious. Mishael is saying who or what is Yahweh. And Azariah means Yahweh has helped. Now they've been changed. Daniel to Belteshazzar. Bel was another god. It was a false god. And what it actually meant was Bel or Marduk, the supreme god of the Babylonian pantheon, protects his life. Shadrach, 
was who Hananiah became. Shadrach means possibly the command of a Sumerian moon god named Aku, and it means I'm afraid of Aku. And then, of course, Meshach is perhaps who or what Aku is in Abednego, is the servant of the shining one, Nabu. So they've actually stripped them of all of their identity, all of their identity of who they were in the Lord, and they're now giving them different names, attributing their characteristics to another God. Was the situation bleak? You bet it was. And verses 1 to 7 are very clear of the situation that it wasn't looking good. But verse 8, verse 8 is the pivot point of this chapter. Look what it says. But Daniel resolved. No matter what was going on, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food. Daniel resolved. Why would Daniel resolve on the food? He'd had his name changes. Why didn't he make a stand on that? Why didn't he make a stand on, on the different temples? Why didn't he make a stand there? Why did he pick the food? Some would say that maybe he was just trying to maintain kosher Old Testament law. I don't think that's true because he also said no to the wine. And under the kosher law, he could have taken that. Was he just was, was he, was he avoiding or, or, or making food that was offered to the idols? Was he saying, I don't want the food that's been offered up to these idols? I don't think so either. Because the vegetables were probably offered up as well. Maybe he was making a public stand. A public stand against the king saying, I'm not going to take this. Nope. Because he did this in private. So it wasn't any of those things. It was likely because he realized that their minds and their bodies were being fed by the Babylonian court. If he made a difference, if he took a stand here, there'd be nobody else to attribute the glory to but God. Their robust appearance, usually attained by meat and wine, which is what they had thought, and I'm going to quote a commentator on this because I don't want anybody yelling at me when I say this, is miraculously achieved through a diet of vegetables. In other words, the only way that vegetables could make anybody look that good is by a miracle. <laughs> only God could have done it. <laughs> I hear you. What lightly spurred them on, though, was a desire to stand out, to be a little bit different, and live in a way that they could honor God Daniel knew that they were going to benefit from the decision because he understood who put them in the circumstance, right? That goes back to the first point. Knowing that this was all under the sovereignty of God, he knew that if they did this, that they'd be able to give him glory. Daniel knew he had to cling to his faith, and he was so convinced of it, so sure of it, that his conviction became strong. You have to remember that there is a huge difference between commitment and conviction, okay? Where commitment is often strategic, conviction comes from inside here. It comes from a different place. Well, commitment can come and go. Conviction is escapable or is inescapable. And commitment often comes from a place where we think we can 
where conviction comes from a place of we must. I have to do this. Has God ever hammered you like that? Have you ever just had God just lay something on your heart and you were like, I know I have to do this? You know when he does it for me? Almost always, 3 a.m. At 3 a.m., I wake up, and if I, say to, if I say to Susan, what time is it? And she says, it's 3 a.m. I'm like, oh, boy. He's going to get me with something now. And I think it's because I'm so busy. I try to keep myself busy all the time. He's like, oh, I got you as slow as you can have, and there's nothing you can do at 3 a.m. So we're going to have a little talk here. And once that hits me and once that happens in my heart and I am convicted of that, there is absolutely nothing that is going to stop me from doing what he's asked me to do. And that's exactly the case here with Daniel. Well, commitment comes from like to do, conviction comes from must do. And they have two very different success rates, by the way. I'd like to and I have to have two totally different success rates. When we have to do something, we are so much more likely to get it done. When God convicts us of something, we have Holy Spirit power to help us do it. Fourthly, and I, in this next section, we're going to see that resolve is strengthened by opposition. You're going to experience opposition or you're going to think you might. But not only is, are we going to experience opposition, our resolve will be strengthened when we actually have and experience the opposition. In verse 9, it's clear that God is now saying that this, is, this was the right thing to do. It says in verse 9, now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. Catch that, God had. And what did compassion mean in this case? It meant that Daniel, who was probably 14 years old, went up to a government court official and said, I would like you to consider plan B. And the court official didn't strike him down on the spot. That was the compassion that was showed. In fact, we also have to notice that God didn't just carve out an easy path here either. Because God could have just said, okay, well, we're just going to free them out of everything and we're going to fix all this. And he didn't. All he did was said, I'm going to give you an opportunity to proceed. Daniel still had the work to do. He couldn't just wait. He had to do something. So what does he do? He comes into this opposition from the official and the official says, but the king will kill me if I do this. So what does Daniel do? He says, well, I guess I better just give up. No, that's not what he does. He says, I need to come up with a plan B. And you know what his plan B was? He went to another official and somehow, under the fear of death, convinced that official that them giving this a try was actually the best possible thing for the official. Only God could do that. A 14-year-old convincing a grown man with authority that going against what he's been told to do might actually work out better for him? That can only come from the Lord. And that's why we have to notice that when Daniel came up against this resistance, he didn't panic. He didn't throw in the towel. He looked for another strategy, but he did it without compromise. There's the difference between resolution and resolve. Resolution would be, okay, I guess that wasn't it. I guess we figure something else out. Resolve is... That might be in the way, but we have to get to the end here. We've got to get to the goal here. 
And yes, our resolve is often proven through tests. Let's have a look at what Jesus said about that for a minute. If you go to Matthew chapter 5, which is the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to hear what he says about when, you're, when you experience opposition. He says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And then in verse 12, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus says, when you experience opposition, you're blessed and you are to rejoice. Why? Because the culture is supposed to not like what you're doing. The culture is supposed to be opposed to it. That's one of the indicators that we know. That's why it can strengthen our resolve. And just as Jesus experienced the opposition, his disciples can expect the same. In Philippians Chapter 1, it says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm, stand firm, resolve in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Catch this. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved. Opposition is telling you that. Note who's going to do it. It says, and by God. So Daniel had the conviction of what he was doing. Also notice, because he was strategic, he didn't feel like he had to stand up against everything. Is the culture going to come at us when we have resolve? Yes. Do we need to fight against all of it? Not if you're not called to. But if you have resolve for something, absolutely. Absolutely you have to. This was a private reliance on God that Daniel was working through. And the resolve wasn't based on a principle of fighting against everything, but was carefully considered and obedient. And that is where our conviction comes from. That's where the opposition will strengthen us. Okay, so if we check our motivation first and we know where it's coming from, we right-size our expectation, we experience the conviction that I must, and we come against opposition, it looks like we might be on the right track. I'm going to go jump to verse 17 here, and we're going to notice fifth, resolve produces change. Look what happens in verse 17. It says, To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds and literat of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. This wasn't even what he'd signed up for, but it was happening. He was blessed in those moments. God gave them the knowledge. Not only didn't they fade into obscurity, but they rose into power. And as you read through the book of Daniel, you're going to see story after story after story after story of Daniel's resolve and God getting the glory for it. It's a good way and a good indication that things are moving in the right direction. Important to remember, once we are saved, the next step is we are sanctified. Saved, justified, then sanctified. In other words, we are made more and molded more into the image of God every day. So what does that tell you? Sanctification is not about just clinging to the status quo. Actually, clinging to the status quo 
comes usually from us. And I'm a big, uh, I did that myself. The last 18 months have been one of, some of the hardest months of my life. I do not do well with change at all. And I went through in the last 18 months, my dad passed away. Uh, my oldest daughter, Emma, uh, got married. My youngest daughter, Abby, abandoned me and went to school to live her life. <laughs> and everything that I've ever known about Calvary changed. My job changed. Our leadership changed. This is a lot of change. And for a guy who doesn't like change, I didn't do all that well with all of that. I had a hard time with that. But what I learned through it is that not only is change necessary, it's also really, really, really good. And it's really good because it gives me opportunity to give glory to God. For example, my dad. My dad was saved later in life. Praise God. Where is he now? Hmm. I get to give glory to God that my dad, even though I miss him all the time, he is rejoicing in the presence of, the, of our Lord and Savior. I get to see Emma and Graham in their marriage, living a biblical, godly marriage that reflects the goodness of Christ in the church into their community and into their friends and into their workplaces. And I get to see how God is working in their lives and guess who gets the glory for that? God gets all the glory for that. Abby, as she's walking through the campus at Brock, and I'm thinking to myself, is she okay? Who's got her in the palm of his hands? He gets all the glory, all of it. Through the transitions and the changes at the church, guess what keeps happening? We keep enabling people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. The mission has gone on. The mission moves forward. It's God's church. Guess who gets the glory? He does. So while the change has been uncomfortable for me, and not only did I have to deal with a lot of it, I now get to look back and, and not just fear change, but now expect it, anticipate it, and now look forward to it. That's how we have resolve. Resolve, when God puts something in your heart, is it going to change something in your life? Yes. Is that okay? Yes, embrace it. Embrace it. Just remember that the things that, when we have those changes, they're not bad changes. They're not changes away from God. They're changes towards Him. They never, ever, ever push us away from Him. They always pull us closer. And finally, in the last verse, we're going to see, and Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Okay, what does that mean? It means Daniel stayed in this position for 70 years. When you have resolve and when God makes those changes, this is not a short-term fix. It has long-term results. I'm amazed at how many commercials still tell you how you can fix it faster easier, more simple. And you know what always happens? It's like that flex seal stuff. I put that on a pipe once 
And then I had to replace all the pipes that I sprayed it on because I ruined it. Long-term change and long-term and long-term results yield long-term sanctification for us. It tells us that that's what's going on. So I'm going to ask you as you head into 2024, what is your resolve? Do you have it? Do you feel like something as you're thinking about is we're going to go into 2024? 2024 is going to be the year of what? Is it fostered by resolve or is it just a resolution? Has God put you in the situation? Is that what's motivating you? Is it based in realistic expectation? Are you convicted by it? Do you sense that you would come up against opposition with it? Do you think that it's going to lead to long-term results that produce change in you? I don't know if that's where you're at. So in a second, I'm going to pray. And then we're going to lift our voices up and we're going to worship King Jesus. And when we do that, I want it to be a two-way avenue today. With all you have, worship the Lord. But then, ask Him to place in your heart what you might have resolve about this year. Ask him what you need to bring about as change. And when we're done singing, I'm going to come back with a quick final challenge for us. But re get ready to hear from the risen king, from the living God, the one and only Yahweh. Let us pray together. Father, we give you thanks and we give you praise today that you are a God who gives us resolve, who gives us change, who interacts with us, who doesn't leave us to our own devices. God, thank you that you have called us into a lifestyle that sanctifies us even more into your image, God. How we need that. I pray that just in these next few moments as we lift our voices up to you, God, that it won't just be our voices singing out words, but God, you will be wor working on our hearts and when we sense it, when we feel it, and when we know God, we'll just turn that right back to thanksgiving for you. We give you thanks for everything you've done this year. We look forward with anticipation for next. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Jesus, we do turn our eyes to you. Because it's only through him that we can have success. It's only through him that we can have and find the conviction that we have. If just in those minutes you found yourself convicted by something, just put your hand up for a minute. If you feel like there is something that God has laid on your heart, praise the Lord. If not, here's a few things I'm just going to challenge us as a church. As we head into 2024, there's just five things that I want you to think about. And the first one is, we need to resolve to prioritize the Lord. Book of Hebrews tells us that we should spur one another on in these, these days come to the, as the end days come near, that we should not forsake gathering together. Is church a priority for you? Is attending and gathering and getting involved? Is that a priority to you? That's not one you need to pray about. Jesus has already told us in that Hebrews text, do not forsake. That's a command. 
tells us that we're to give, to, to give all of our attention and our love to him. Have you made him a priority in your life? Second, are you fighting against sin? You have to resolve to fight against sin. There is a difference between falling into obedience and fighting against sin. Ephesians 4 tells us to throw off our old self and put on the new. If there is a sin that you are embroiled in right now and you need to let that go and this is the year for victory of that, please don't leave here without talking to somebody and getting some help, at least getting some prayer. The Bible tells us that we need to fight against the sin. Maybe there's a, a relationship that needs to be repaired. Maybe there's a forgiveness issue in your life. I don't know. But the third thing that we should commit to do is to spend time together and alone in prayer. We say here at Calvary that prayer is the air that we breathe. How's your prayer life? If you want direction from God, spend time with him. He died and made a way so that we could spend time with him. Let's never take for granted that at any time we can approach the throne of grace and interact with the living God. Fourth, be on mission. Be on mission to people that are in your life that maybe you've, you have to share the gospel with. Maybe you need to live in a different way. Maybe they're living in a way that they shouldn't be living. Maybe they, you know them from the church. You need to go and get them and bring them back. The Bible tells us that we're to go to and, make, and baptize and make disciples of all nations. Be on mission in your workplace, in your homes, with your families. And then fifth, be generous. Be generous with your time, your talent, and your treasure. If you're thinking to yourself, I just want to get involved here. I need to serve here somewhere. Talk to somebody. Let's get you serving. Fill out one of our welcome cards. Just say, I want to serve. We'll be in touch you're thinking, I just need to devote more time and you want to devote more of your treasures. That's exactly what the Bible tells us to do. God says, test me with those things. If we resolve to do this, church, 2024 is going to yield some incredible kingdom results. So I pray that as you leave here today, that you won't forsake meeting one of our pastors in the Connections Room or, or joining us down here for prayer. But we do wish you a very happy new year and pray that you will have an amazing rest of your day ending 2023 and looking forward with resolve to 2024. God bless you.